If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Show Me How Good It Gets. I'm your host, Malvika. Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode. It is a special one. This is my first guest on the podcast, and I'm so delighted for you guys to hear our conversation because it was incredibly illuminating for me, and I think it might be for some of you as well. Um, So to kind of give you some context of who this person is, first of all, she's one of my favorite professors, and she's such a badass, but I'm going to rewind to like a year and a half ago. Um, I'd heard a lot about Eugenia on campus. She was brilliant. Um, She's like this professor of physics and education. Um, She was such a badass. Like she always wore heels everywhere. I'd seen her around a lot. Brilliant, beautiful, like really wanted to take a class with her. And so finally, when it came time for my senior year, I took my first class with her. Um, And then I showed up late to my first class completely on accident and I'm such a punctual person and I pride myself on always being on time everywhere and like it was totally my fault I read my schedule wrong and I show up 30 minutes late to my first class with her and I'm so embarrassed like I hate being late to things and then after class I like went and I started apologizing profusely I was like I'm sorry it was because of this and I'm sorry I'm so sorry it's not gonna happen again I'm so sorry and I'm just like apologizing again and again And she looks me dead in the eyes and she goes, listen, it's okay. Say sorry once. I don't believe in punitive education. See you next week. And I was like, oh my God, I love this woman. Like she was just so calm and collected and felt like a spiritual mentor from the first conversation I had with her. Um, And since then, we've almost become friends. She calls us co-learners, which I think is really special. But um, at some point last semester, she came up to me and started a conversation about my name. She said, so, Maul. And I was like, yeah. Um, And I tried to explain to her. I was like, well, my real name is Malvika. That's the parents. I mean, that's the name my parents gave me. I love it. But when I came to Olin, I just thought it'd be easier for everyone if I called myself Maul. Like, it's easy. It's quick. It's four letters. I'm like giving her this whole spiel. And I was like, yeah, I really love my name. But like, this is just easier. And I kept saying that. And she's looking at me and like nodding slowly. And she was like, well, I think Malvika is really beautiful. And I think you should start going by that. Um... And it was just like this really empowering moment for me where I kind of figured out that I had spent four years trying to be easier for everyone else and to be more palatable for everyone else. And I really do love my name and I love how Indian it sounds and I love that my parents put thought and love into it. Like I think in that moment a lot kind of clicked for me and I credit um, a lot to that conversation. And if you look at the podcast cover art, um, it says my name and under it, there's like a red squiggly, um, which is like probably my favorite part of the cover art. And it's because my whole life I wanted a different name. I wanted a name that did not get a red squiggly under it so badly. I wanted that so badly. And now I feel so lucky to have the name I do. Um, 
And this is going to be a great conversation about authenticity and femininity and what all of it means. Um, But for me, my favorite part is kind of the end where she talks about her affirmation, which is yes and. That's her way of calling abundance into her universe. Um, And so I just think it's like it lines up perfectly with show me how good it gets. Um, And so, yeah, I love this conversation so much and I hope you enjoy it too. Here it goes. Okay, so I just clicked record. So now we're recording. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) And so for my listeners, I'm sitting down with my wonderful professor, Zhenya, who's a professor of physics and education. And I've taken two classes with you now. And I think I would take any class you offered. Oh my gosh. And I, every time I see your name um, on course registration, I just sign up for your class. Oh my gosh. Um, and, and I just, I love all my classes with you. And specifically, I fell in love with you our first day of class last semester where um, you introduced yourself and then you started speaking in Russian. <laughs> and everyone looked around like, oh my God, are we supposed to know this? And like looked <laughs> back at you. And I wanted to ask, why do you start your classes like that? And I started this class. Mm-hmm. right, that you're taking with me this semester, also in Russian. <clears throat> well, so Russian is my first language. Ukrainian is my second language. English is my third language. And, um, you know, my first language is the language that I grew up with. It's mm-hmm. the language that formed me into who I am. <clears throat> it's the language in which I learned how to think and how to be and how to create. And certainly if I speak to you in Russian, even if you don't understand, you will get so much more of a feeling for what I'm talking about than if I were to even now speak with, to you in English, right? So if I were to say the same thing in Russian right now, what did I say? I don't know, but you said something very kind. There you go. And I said, I'm, um, I adore you. Oh, That's what I said. Yeah, right? and, and you can get sentiment from language not only but but because it comes from within it comes from beyond within (laughs) it comes from generations of practice and thinking and being into this language right it comes through to you you knew it was something kind you didn't know i said exactly that i adore you but you knew that i said something that was about you and that was profound about you right so that's what we're pulling almost pulling on the wisdom of ancients when we speak our first language and so I like to start my classes by having at least a few sentences in Russian because I want to bring not just myself, this body, this soul, this mind, but also all of my ancients with me into the environment that we build together when we learn together in classes, right? Just as when you see me, you see me and you see all of my ancients. And when I greet you, I greet you in this body, in this soul, in this mind, and all of your ancients that stand behind you. And if we, if we don't take into account us with our ancients, seven generations back or more, um, then we're losing parts of ourselves in our classroom environments, in our learning environments, in our teaching environments, in the environments where we get to communicate. Yeah, and it's so beautiful because I, I think I remember you saying, all of me greets all of you. Yeah. Everywhere you come from, your family, your struggles, and that's such a beautiful way to start class. I remember feeling so seen and heard. And I don't know if you remember, but I came late to our very first class I together. Remember. And I felt so bad because I'm a very punctual person. And I had just gotten my schedule wrong my first day. And I was apologizing profusely to you. And I respected you so much. And I was like, how did I come late to my first class with Jenny? <laughs> like, I was so disappointed. And you just looked at me so kindly. And you were like, it's OK. Like, yeah. don't apologize. It's okay. And I mean, to make your students feel that at ease, it completely removes all of the fear-based education we have our whole lives. Of If you don't turn an assignment, if you don't do the reading, you're punished. There's such a fear of punishment that it kind of gets in the way of learning. And I've never felt that in any of your classes. Thank you. That's a huge compliment. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I think it's magic. And like literally the first time we were in a class together. I was like, oh, I love Shania. We're going to be friends forever. <laughs> <laughs> we will. We are. <laughs> we are. And you don't think that about professors usually. Like, I don't, it, it was just so instantaneous. And everyone who was a class with you says your energy is so special. 
Thank you. It's F. I so appreciate that. Just to to address something you said, the the fear, right? The punitive nature of education is something that I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum from. Um, Because we cannot learn when we're in fear. We cannot step into our authenticity, which is where we learn, which is where we get to be creative if we start from the position of fear. So if we can get to the place in any classroom, um, in any learning environment, if we can get into a place of no fear, into a place of full trust, where trust is just given, right? Then we can truly learn. That's where the true kind of authentic, creative, empowered, awe-inspired learning can happen, right? Like these moments of awe are the moments in which something magical happens for everybody. And not just for the, like a single person in a classroom, but for everybody. One moment of awe for one human in a classroom and everybody becomes awe-inspired. And that's what that's what creative that's what that's what creative learning is about, and that's what relate relatedness field, right? Like this relational field that we create in learning environments. That's what it's about. Yes, that's and magic. And speaking of authenticity, I wanted to ask you your journey with your name. <laughs> this is my favorite story. <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me. Um, I have multiple ones. You probably mean a specific one? No, tell me all of them. All of them. How yeah. much time do you have? We have all the time. I mean, I, I my favorite is the one when you first moved to America. Oh, that one. Um, you know what? Let me tell you that story after I say after I share another story, which you okay. may or may not have heard, but I believe that right now at this time in this context, um, it may be an important one to start with, at least. Yes. Um. So my full name is Evgenia Vladimirovna Zastavkir. I love when you say your full name. Uh, and I and I said it in with like in Russian with Russian, uh, you know, in Russian. Um, and so the first name is a long version of my name. The, the Evgenia Vladimirovna is um, my middle name, which is in Russian given by the father with the suffix that indicates whether mm. you are a man or a woman. Okay. Um, and the staff is my last name. So um, Evgenia is the longer version of the name that I go by, which is Zhenya. I was named Zhenya, and by that, the kind of the longer version is just sort of falls out, right? But I was named Zhenya after my great grandmother, my maternal, um, uh, maternal, maternal mother. Um, her name was actually not Zhenya. Um, her name was uh, Nehama. But Nehama is a Jewish name. And at the time, living in Ukraine as a Jew um, was dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, the level of anti-Semitism at the time mm-hmm. was um, quite high to say in the least. Mm-hmm. And so for almost every Jew had a versified or Ukrainized version of their Jewish name. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she was called in daily life, she was called Zhenya mm-hmm. um, as a way of protecting, as a way of safeguarding her life. Oh, I just got chills. Yeah. Um, and the, not just her life, right, but life of all of her relatives, because mm-hmm. once one name remains Jewish, that means that there is Jewish blood and you know, th- and, and everyone a, is in danger, and everybody is in danger, right? And um, just to be clear, I'm Jewish by blood, like secular Jew. I, I know nothing about religion. Mm-hmm. Like if you were to ask me about any holiday, I unfortunately don't know. I know how to suffer for being Jewish, for having Jewish blood, but I don't know what it's like in a religious practice, right? Um, I do know that my great grandmother had knowledge mm-hmm. um, of Judaism. Um, and practice some holidays, but I don't know. But she wasn't religious. She did carry Nahama as a name, and then Jewish, uh, and and then Zhenya as a non-Jewish name. And so, um, I was named after her. Mm-hmm. But again, the level of anti-Semitism was so gargantuan that I couldn't. 
be named Nehama mm-hmm. after her. I could only be named Zhenya to protect, to protect me and protect my safety. And so the name Zhenya comes from generations of, right, it carries within it not just the memory of my great-grandmother, but also the memory embodied kind of cellular memory of worry and fear for life mm-hmm. and desire for safety and security. Mm-hmm. So that's how I came into this world, right? That's the name that I carry, name that both carries the Jewishness of who we, who we are and my ancestors and also the fear for my life mm-hmm. and life of those who are around me. And the love that stems from and the, the fear. And the deep, deep and profound love um, for each other as we are supporting and caring for each other, right? Yeah, um, because protection is a form of love. 100%. Yeah. So that's how we came, right? And um, and by the way, that's not just my, my grandmother's story, right? My dad also had two names, and that's not even in the, you know, great-grained um, history. It's, it's my dad mm-hmm. who had two names, um, one secret one and one kind of the one that we could say out loud. So that's kind of the story, and that's the story that I carry. And every time somebody calls me by my name, they call me and they call my great-grandmother. Wow. And they call generations of those of us who have loved and cared and also suffered. Yeah. It's like you stand on the backs of all your ancestors who fought for you to exist. Exactly. Wow. Wow. And so remember our first conversation about, mm-hmm. about me asking about your name, and you said, Mahal, and I said, is it? Yeah. And you said, well, not really. <laughs> and then we went into this whole story about you being really Malvika. Yes. And how beautiful is that? And so my invitation for you was at the time was like, but you are Malvika. Yes. That's how you came into this world. And it's not about shortening your name for somebody else's convenience. Yes, I don't want to be palatable. No. It's about you standing in your power with all of your ancestors who brought you into this world, who fought Mm -hmm. for you to be in this world, in this body, in this soul, in this spirit, in this heart, in this mind, right? Yes. So it's that. Yeah. I mean, I now think about that each time I introduce myself as Malvika because I started with Mal as just a, oh, it's shorter, it'll be easier. Um, And I didn't think about what that meant on a larger scale of I was putting myself into a smaller and more palatable box for other people. Um, But I love my name and I love how Indian it sounds. And I love thinking about the fact that my parents sat down and came up with that name together. Um, And like as a cis woman, I feel very at home in my name. Um, And I I love it. Um, Like my mom's name is Madhuri and my dad's name is Vinayak. And they took the little parts of their name and put it into mine. And I I think it's so special and beautiful. and I'm going to show you the podcast cover art right after this. But when I write my name, I put this little red squiggly underneath it um, because my whole life, it's it's been no word document or email has ever recognized it. You know, it autocorrects on everyone's phone. And growing up, I was so ashamed of that. I just wanted like a normal name, like Sarah or Julia or some like Katie. Like I was so jealous of people who had names like that. Um, Because they could go and find the keychains with their name, you know, Mm -hmm. like I I was I wanted nothing more than to be palatable as a little girl. Like I wanted my hair straight and not frizzy. And I I wanted to be like everyone else. And I'm not. And my name isn't. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's beautiful. Right. That is your uniqueness and your authenticity. And it's interesting how we come into this life, right? Wanting to be just like everybody else. But the true gift of us is in our uniqueness mm-hmm. and in our, in our authenticity. Well, we are humans, right? And that's what we share. But the reason we're here is to bring our uniqueness to everything else that we share as humans. That is beautiful. And I, oh, every time I talk to you about that, I just get re-inspired. And um, I remember growing up, I was like, I'm never going to name my kid anything that's hard to pronounce or hard to spell. And now I'm excited to. Now I'm excited to have a name with cultural significance. Um, But I think that's so special, right, in such a different way. Um, And I want to paint a picture for people who are listening and haven't gotten a chance to have a class with you. You come to every class and you have your beautiful heels on (laughs) and a great outfit 
and your hair's done pretty often and you come in and you look so fantastically put together <laughs> and for context you also have a phd in like biological physics from mit right <laughs> and you still present yourself very like stereotypically feminine mm-hmm. what has been that journey like like i'm I don't know this for a fact, but I imagine that everyone at MIT when you were getting your PhD was not dressed like that. Mm-hmm. And so how was that for you? How was you being like, no, but this is how I present myself. What was that journey like? And how was it still? Because still on campus, you're one of the few people that, you know, wear heels and present themselves. Like I do too. I mean, look right. at me. I, the outfit I'm wearing today is, oh yes, it's very genia. And I thought about <laughs> it. I was like, what, what outfit would I wear that she would compliment me? Um, so how, how was that? Um, for this is a great question that I get in various forms every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, as, as I'm growing, um, the story, that story is also shifting, right? Mm-hmm. I would have responded to this question very differently 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Certainly while I was at MIT, I would have told you a very different story. <laughs> I, I want to touch back before before I answer this question. I want to touch back on something I said before. So, <clears throat> I'm Jewish mm-hmm. by blood. Um, I experienced anti-Semitism, which your listeners probably don't know much about. Soviet anti-Semitism or Russian-Ukrainian anti-Semitism. It's an it's an entirely different beast. Yes. In spirit, it's very. It's very close to what racism is. Mm-hmm. Bad racism, right? With. <clears throat> police brutality, and all kinds of terrible things. Um, And so all of my life um, in the Soviet Union, and I lived in Ukraine, um, part of the Soviet Union, all of my life I was trying to hide. Um, We had our, um, and and, and Jewish was nationality, so in in your passport, um, where, you know, Russian people would have Russian, right, if they were Russian by blood, if you will, um, or Ukrainians would have Ukrainian in their passport. I had Jewish in my passport as nationality. So I, my first language was Russian. I lived in Ukraine, but my nationality was Jewish. Um, and we had to carry our passports with us at all times uh, so that if police or anybody else would stop us, we could show our passport. So it wasn't our passports that clearly, that clear identifier was in our passports. In all of the paperwork, when I was applying to colleges, universities, whatever it was, um, uh, it was an identifier, which actually put me right away in a different pile of applications. So I, I literally could not get into, like, Kiev University, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the National University of Ukraine. I, like, could not get in because my application would put, be put right away in a different pile. Oh, my God. Um, along with everybody who is Jewish. And so it, that means automatic no. Mm-hmm. It's like here getting an SAT that is below like 400 or whatever the <laughs> lowest score is. Like it's yeah. a, it's an automatic no. Um, and also on the top of everything else, I look Jewish. Mm-hmm. So so here I don't. Here I'm just a white cis woman, right? But there mm-hmm. I was clearly identifiable, just like people of color are identifiable. Here I was identifiable there. And so I was punished for that with a whole lot of brutality. And so all of my life I tried to hide. I tried to fit in. Mm-hmm. So I tried to do, you know, I tried to wear clothes that were were as close to Ukrainians or Russians. I tried to wear hair as close to Russians or Ukrainians. I try, I try to mix in. I try to blend. Um, I try to speak the way people spoke. I try to be as invisible as possible, so that I wouldn't experience or re-experience or re-triggered um, again. Um, and I've experienced quite a bit of of literal physical brutality because of my Jewishness, if you will. So when I got to the States, I thought to myself, well, like, and I was a refugee to the to, to, to this country. Um, and of course, I was running away from that. And I yeah. thought anti-Semitism would be no more here. Not true. It's a different form of anti-Semitism, but it still is here. Um, and I thought to, you know, and at the time when I got to the States, I was like, okay, well, but time for me to be me. Time yeah. for me to step into my own, right? Because there wouldn't be anti-Semitism here, and everybody's equal here, and it, every, like life is so much better. Like I would be better off here, and I could step into my own. Yeah, America is advertised like that. Certainly, 
and also gold falls on your head. Like <laughs> that was one of the, uh, the miraculous things that I was moving towards um, in the U.S. Um, none of that is true, but um, uh, but in the first years of my coming here, that's what I was, you know, desperately hoping for. And and so so your to your question about my femininity, right, and the mm-hmm. way I step into femininity, that was the aspect of my being that when I came to the States, I started to truly own. Wow. Um, that was one of the first things that I kind of stepped into by saying, okay, now I can be me. Mm-hmm. Right now, I don't have to hide. At least this part of me doesn't need to be hidden. Um, and I very quickly learned that actually being a woman in physics is not okay. Actually wearing a clothes that identifies you as a woman is not okay. Um, I, certainly not in physics. But at the same time, like a part of me was revolting and a part of me was saying like, you know, it's not about conservation of mass in that if you have breasts, you don't have brain. It's not that kind of thing, right? <laughs> yeah. you they're can't not have mutually both. exclusive. No, they're not. Yeah. It's th- that is the case where mass is not conserved, right? Th- you can have both. Um, that was a great physics plug, too. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and so um, starting back at Yale, when I started experiencing first <laughs> clear, um, overt um, signs of chauvinism and sexism, um, I started revolting, and and for me, it was a clear positionality. I can have both breasts and brain, and I can fully express myself as a woman, as a revolt, as a provocation to science to say that I will be me, and there is no division. If you scientists accept me, you accept me in all that I am, my high heels, my made-up face, my dresses, my hair, all of me. Wow. And so that's how I was provoke, provoking the space, right? And yes, I was told multiple times that like, the typical question, like, what is the beautiful woman like you doing in, in physics? Oh, my God. I've had that multiple times. <laughs> like I'm adding times. to the space of physics and I'm also yeah. looking really hot. Like, <laughs> um, I was multiple times stopped at conferences to ask for directions as, as though, you know, I was working for a conference as one of the people in the building kind yeah. of pointing people in various and directions. And not doing the research. And, and not doing research. Yeah. Um, I was to- told to stop smiling at MIT because oh I was God. smiling apparently too, too much. Um, not appropriate for a woman. <laughs> I was told that high heels are not okay. Uh, all kinds of things. But, you know, you get me, all of me. And that is, that is me. And I still provoke. I still feel that me showing up into the world in this form um, continues to provoke and also inspire, mm-hmm. right? Like how many more women? And I, I can tell you this example. When I was at Yale as undergrad, I remember I wanted to be a pre-med for a little short while. Um, and of course, part of the pre-med, you needed to take inorganic chemistry for a year and then you needed to take organic chemistry. Um, so I took my, uh, I signed up to take organic chemistry uh, in my sophomore year. I walk into a classroom 500, 600, I don't know, 700 people, lecture hall. Um, We're all sitting in this tiered classroom, right? Um, I'm like one speckle in this gargantuan classroom, and I see, in, I see the professor walking in, and it was a woman. Um, incredibly short skirt, like way above the knee, very long boots, almost to the knee or above, long hair. And she walks in with her notes under her arm. Then she places notes on the on this gargantuan table, um, lab table. She greets us um, in all of her femininity. And she says that she's a professor of chemistry. Mm-hmm. And she's going to be our instructor for the semester. Um, then she turns around and she starts writing on the, on the blackboard. As much as I didn't like chemistry. <laughs> And didn't become a doctor. Yeah. I looked at her. I looked you at You did the, become a doctor, a different kind of a doctor. A different kind of doctor, yes. not medical doctor. Yeah. Right. But I did look at the at, at our professor. I looked at how she expressed herself. I looked at how she wore herself on her body, right? Brilliant. And 
also a note to a note to to listeners if you keep it on <laughs> on the recording at Yale as assistant professors usually state assistant professors and usually not usually many of them did not get through the tenure process mm -hmm. so most of their tenure professors at least at the time at least that was the folklore that most of the tenured professors were actually uh, brought to Yale as tenured already so as associate of professors but those who were assistants had really challenging time getting through tenure process and actually getting tenure so it was by far not frequent that an assistant professor gets tenure and stays on at Yale she was an example of one of those who stayed wow. she got tenured wow. and so for me it was this kind of this big deal this this woman brilliant woman who shows up as a woman in all of her femininity and her feminine self is also getting tenure at Yale out of all places. I want to be like her. Yeah. Oh my God. Just like her. And so that kind of memory stays with me. And so if she was able to become that like signal, that symbol of femininity in science for me. And you're doing that for me and my class, right? Like I show up to your classes with glitter eyeshadow. Thank and you. And then we talk about engineering pedagogy. Thank you. And and how empowering is that? Is that we are outside of the class, we are the people we are. And then inside of the class, we are seen and respected as students with voices and not looked at what, it, no one looks at what we're wearing, how we're doing our hair. It's just about what we present in the class. And both of those things exist so beautifully in the space you create because of the way you are and because of the way she was. Right. Right. I mean, that's, I, it, it's so inspiring to me to hear that you also had someone like that who you looked up to. And it must have been so scary for her to walk into Yale every day like that. I'm sure. Right? I'm sure. And I, I hope it's getting less and less taboo. But, you know, it's a long road for all of us. Yes. Mm. It's, it, but I just want to, I just want to say, you. The, the, it seems like the theme today, I mean, we have many conversations. When we talk, we can go almost anywhere in the yes. world. But it seems the developing theme today is that of authenticity. Yes. And how we show up. Mm -hmm. in this world every day you showing up in your femininity with this beautiful shawl on with your glitter right that's you showing up in your, all of your authenticity and I as as a co-learner with you right like it's strange that we say instructors are instructors and students come like we co-learn at all times so as a co-learner co in the classroom spaces we co-create you show up, you showing up in all of your authenticity means that you didn't leave a part of yourself somewhere outside. Mm. You didn't leave your femininity outside to come here as a brain on a stick. Mm. You brought all of yourself in and all of yourself in this learning environment is what makes you unique and what makes you bring the gifts of you, right? And so we can't co-create, we can't learn if you just left a piece of yourself somewhere else. Yes. And how are we ever going to do human-centered design and engineering without humans? Exactly. If, all of them, right? Yes. Not just pieces of them, not just brain. Yes. Not just, you know, body. All of them. And we talk so much about interdisciplinary learning. And mm -hmm. right now that feels like such a buzzword, not just at our college, but at colleges everywhere. I remember when I was applying, everyone said, oh, we have interdisciplinary learning. And what is that in practice, right? Because in practice, it's a lot of getting the full student. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right? And their experiences outside of classrooms. Like for me, I do a lot of my learning in the classroom. I also do a lot of my learning out of the classroom. And and I want that to be present in our conversations. And like you do such a fantastic job of that. And oh, many of my classes here do. Um, but a lot of a lot of schools don't. And I I am so grateful every day that I came here and I got this experience. Um, but I, I hope that's the future of education. I hope so, too. That students come and they are their full selves. I hope so too. It's challenging to, it, it will take time. It's going there, it will take time. Part of the reason it's so challenging is because it's been educated out of us. Yes. It's been educated out of you in 12 years that, or more that you've been educated before you got to college, right? It certainly has been educated out of us. And certainly we carry ourselves as, as brains, as cognition, mm -hmm. but not as fully embedded, embodied, soulful human beings right yes and so for many of us you know part of my journey part of the part of how i step into my 
myself right now is by saying, I'm done divorcing bits and pieces of myself. Mm -hmm. I'm done divorcing me from me. Mm-hmm. You know, the spiritual part of me has always stayed home. Wow. Nobody ever knew. Yeah. Right? Like, people knew that I came to the States as a refugee because I'm Jewish, right? And so assumption was that I I know Judaism or I practice Judaism. And I know nothing about Judaism. But I'm highly spiritual human, right? And that whole spirituality stayed at home at all times. What it did is it severed myself mm-hmm. from me. And I came into classrooms, however dressed as a woman, without a gargantuan piece of who I am. And so I couldn't channel. Um, and I actually, d- d- I don't, I'm not using that word pejoratively. I couldn't channel. Let me put a stop there. Mm-hmm. I couldn't channel. Let yeah. me tell it that way. Yeah. What advice would you have for people trying to figure out what it means to live authentically? I mean, for young people, it's it sounds really nice to be authentic, but how do you figure out what is authentic and what parts of you you want to bring into spaces? I mean, a lot of my listeners are like 15, 16, and they ask me, like, how do I figure out my values? How do I figure out who I am? My favorite piece of advice to figure out, like, career paths or, like, what you want to major in in college is I say pay attention to what you pay attention to. Mm-hmm. That's how I decided what I wanted to study in my PhD mm-hmm. program. Um, and I'm going to study technology and social behavior because I found myself in my free time for fun reading about that, reading about the ethics of technology, reading about the future of it and how it interacts with society and with humans. And so that's how I decided. But that's like such a what that's one niche of my life, right? What I'm studying. Mm-hmm. But how do you figure out in every aspect of your life what is authentic to you? God, this is for many people. This is like a life journey. Yeah, right? and I, I'm not saying anyone has figured it out. I yeah. certainly haven't. Yeah. But there's certain steps you can start taking as a young person. I think. Uh, absolutely. Mm. I just lis- recently listened to to a podcast that um, I may want to leverage something from what I listened. Although that that's always been kind of a part of my journey, but but. But that comes, that kind of surfaces as potential response to this query, right? I think one of the most important pieces of how we step Mm -hmm. um, into spaces as as us is starts by wondering about our value system. Mm -hmm. And not all, you know, sometimes I do workshops in which with instructors, um, right, professors, and and I give them a list of like hundred different values, and I ask them to kind of select fifteen, and they go like fifteen mm-hmm. out of this amazing <laughs> list of a hundred. Mm-hmm. I agree with almost every single value here. Like, how do you pick fifteen? And then go like fifteen, and then out of fifteen, we'll choose six. And they're having an incredibly challenging time because they say to me, "Well, we align with all of this. Well, can you bring all of this?" all 15 or all six, certainly not all 100, into your classroom every time? Mm. Probably no. Um, So, and in the podcast that is kind of surfacing in my memory right now, they're asking to bring in two values. Wow. Identify two values. And then based on two values, establish behaviors that actually allow you to, Mm. to live into those values. And how challenging is that, right? And there is another caveat, not just two values, but two values that are almost polar to each other because it is in this polarity, right? In this maybe tension, but maybe bridging of those polarities. I don't want to use actually the word tension. I want to use the word bridging, equilibrating, balancing those polar values that you may truly step into yourself. So let me give you an example of that. Um, I'm quintuple Sagittarius. So rising, you know, moons, yes. I don't know how many people know astrology, but yes. I'm very much into astrology. So I'm a quintuple Sagittarius. And quintessential value of, a, of Sagittarius is freedom. Okay. Full freedom. Unadulterated, uh, you know, freedom, freedom to fly, freedom to do, freedom to express, freedom to aspire, freedom, freedom to fly, fully fly, right? Yes. So if, if freedom is my value, and also freedom for me coming from the Soviet Union and being Jewish, 
uh, has yet entire level of meaning, right? Yeah, it has. It's so nuanced for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so value is a freedom, right? And so, w- what is my other value? If I were to choose yet one, just one value, as a polarity, what would it be? Um, and it would it would be security? Wow. Yeah. Right. Safety, security, maybe. And, the, and you're the, a refugee, so that right. also makes that so makes much sense. sense. But yeah. how polar they yes. are, and so how do I bring behaviors? How do I follow? How do I keep those two values as the most treasured gifts in front of me? Mm-hmm. Um, and follow with behaviors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, based just on these two values, that is how I step into my authenticity. Wow! Oh my! Now I have to go journal. That's such a good journaling prompt. Yes. I like that a lot. Wow. Um, I I think a lot about this whole concept of living authentically, and it feels so abstract as like a 21-year-old. Um, and I I have this fear. Of what, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with this idea of living authentically, right? But I have this fear that I will do it, and right now it's important, and I'm going, I'm going to near the end of my 20s, and I'm going to feel like I'm running out of time. <laughs> like I'm trying, and this is this idea forced on women, right? Like men with age, they gain wisdom and, you know, they're a silver fox and, you know, they're more and more <laughs> powerful. Women, it seems like we lose value. That in the culture, we lose value. And I feel like I have a few years left to live authentically and be looked at. And then I'm going to disappear into the dying night, which I know logically is not true. I know that's not true, but how has this idea of authenticity changed with you as you've grown older? And how has you growing older shifted your identity and perception of yourself? Oh, such a beautiful question. <clears throat> and you did mention that you may may go there. Yes. Um, and, and I have to admit that I didn't think about it because just as soon as I started thinking about it, I said to myself, you know what, whatever comes out is going to come out. Yes. However, I'm going to shape and this. And that's going to be authentic, right? right? And that is authentic. Yes. Absolutely. Um, you know, I just had a conversation with a friend of mine who, and where we kind of were thinking about our past and thinking about our trajectory and thinking about our youth, if you will. <laughs> um and he looked at me and he said, do you really want to be in your 20s? And I looked back and I said, absolutely no. <laughs> um, it was wonderful. I, however challenging my 20s were, however challenging my, challenging my teens and 20s and 30s were, um, and however much I hold this history as the history that kind of cooked me, <laughs> mm-hmm. prepared me to be who I am today, I... That is my history. That was lovely. And I'm so much smarter, so much wiser. That smarter is not the right word. I'm wiser. Yes. I'm more experienced. And so much more beautiful. Yes. And I mean that holistically, right? Yes. Now that I am who I am, that I've had all of these experiences, that I've had all of these conversations, I have had all of these interactions, some of which were incredibly challenging. Yeah. Um. I mean, it, even as a professor in the last four years, you've changed. Right? <laughs> so I can't imagine meeting 20-year-old Genya. It would have been a very different Genya. <laughs> very different Genya. Um, here's, the, here's the thing about growing into your beauty, right? Growing into yet another piece of your authenticity, kind of defining the shapes, the shape of who you become. We're stories in motion, right? Every day, every conversation. This conversation is going to change me, and I'm sure it's going to change you. It's going right? to change me, yeah. So the way we walked in here at 12.30 p.m. is going to be very different than the way we're going to walk out of here at 1.30 because every opportunity, every conversation, every interaction is that door that opens up for us to grow. Or not, we choose. Yeah. So all of our experiences that lead us to today, to this moment, make us more beautiful, if you believe that, if you choose to believe that. I believe it. Yeah. So then... Th- so then, again, this is another this is another kind of form that the society, th- another kind of system of oppression that society is, right, that tells us that somehow with age we become less. When th- the truth is we How is that possible? More. Yeah. How, right? Yeah. You collect all of these experiences. You collect all of these gifts that the universe is giving you. How can you become less? 
The yeah. only thing you become is more if you choose to believe it. Yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, my whole podcast, that's the premise. It's called Show Me How Good It Gets. And it's all about believing in the good because our brains just do so much selective filtering. Absolutely. And if you tell it to look for the good, it will find it. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. So welcome to more beauty, right? Yeah. Every moment, welcome to more beauty. Welcome to seeing more goodness. Welcome to seeing more, um, what do I want to say? Um, sparkliness. Yeah. That yeah. life is, right? Yeah. I love that word. Yeah. Um, I, I've, every time anyone asks me about this podcast, I tell them it's a very selfish venture because I just want to talk to people I love and be able to record and keep these conversations. Um, because in the future, if I'm looking for advice, I want to be able to turn to people like you. Um, and I've been really nervous about this next transitory period of my life, mm -hmm. of moving to Chicago, getting a PhD. A lot of my listeners are either, you know, leaving high school and going to college or also, to, like me, going into their postgrad world. What advice do you have for us about to experience this whole new season of change and feeling very scared and nervous about it? Embrace it. <laughs> um, being scared and nervous is part of this journey, for sure. Um, and this is also it's such a beautiful invitation to open eyes, to breathe in, and to say, what opportunities are coming to my, into my life? Yeah. What doors are going to open? And also be open to doors opening, right? So yes, you're going to get a PhD in Chicago. Yes, you know what program you're going to. So there is some knowledge, right? There is yes. some structure. Yeah. Into, in the space that you are moving into. And at the same time, this is going to be such an invitation for you to say, yes, and what else? Yes, and what beauty is going to, this new life is going to bring me. You know, one of the bestest pieces of our life and living is the meetings, sometimes serendipitous, right? Mm -hmm. Synchronistic, if you will, um, that life's, life brings us. You meet somebody on the street, somebody smiles at you 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 go into grocery store to get that back of gum and and a, a person at the cash register smiles at you and you look at their beautiful smile and you start thinking about something so every moment every blade of grass every every flower um every passerby is an opportunity for you to open doors into some something new it is in this constant wondering what else and seeing the beauty I know I probably sound like a <laughs> like a spiritual worker. No, I, like, I this is exactly how I talk too. Yeah. That is that because is every what it person is. is a chance for connection. Absolutely. I mean, I could have walked into your classroom saying, I'm gonna hate this class. I am in here for the grade or to, you know, get the credits and I'm gonna leave. I don't wanna connect with anyone. I'm I'm not looking for that. Yeah. And then you won't have that i mean if you if i went in and i chose not to listen and not to participate walk in and out we would not have created this connect if you went into that classroom and said i hate this job mm -hmm. i'm gonna i'm gonna put a lesson up on the board and then i'm gonna tune out you know, if, if you approach things like that you will not get good out of it that's right right but if you if you try like if the open eyes open heart that's what my mom always tells me to open eyes open heart i love it i love it yeah Open eyes, open heart. So many opportunities are going to be opening up for you. I'm, I'm just so superbly excited about your future. I, I, I'm going to come and visit you in Chicago. I, the, the world, it's like, it's like it, it's going to open yeah. for you. It, it's been already opening. And it's going to continue opening if you're open to it. Right? Like, what is this expression? Um, you, st you make one step towards the gods and gods make ten steps towards you. Yes. Um, right? It's that open up and see what comes your way. And like the, the world is an oyster or whatever English expression is. It, just be open to this. And to do that, and that's the practice that we practice in our in, in class, right? To do that, to be that open. You want to practice some meditation or some openness or some kindness or some compassion, right? Both compassion to yourself and compassion to other, others. It is in the space of giving yourself a chance to breathe. And this is actually to you, Malvika. Um, and I know you're already practicing it, but, but like, if I were to give you one word of advice, you keep on breathing. 
Yeah. Don't forget to breathe out because we have a tendency when we're stressed, when we're um, under pressure, we have a tendency of breathing in and keeping our breath in. Yeah, and I get all tense and I remember I haven't taken a breath in five minutes. Yeah. Right. And so this is an invitation for you and your listeners and everybody to keep on breathing and keep on breathing in and taking a much, much longer breath out so that we can just be and be in this space of openness, breathing yeah. and being and stopping, right? Like we as engineers, we tend to do, 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 and the more you do, but, but we're not human doings. We're human beings, as I said yes. multiple times. So being, start with being. Be open, hold everything on your palm, bring it in and treat everything as a gift because everything, a challenge, um, a struggle, it's a gift. However challenging it is to see in the moment, it's all a gift. And then you become wise and authentic and whatever else. And everything else follows. <laughs> everything else follows. Thank you so much for talking to me. I mean, I know I'm going to treasure this conversation forever. And see, I, I'm leaving a changed person yes. because of the conversation. Me um, too. And for people listening, I think I spent so many years not taking advantage of talking to my educators and viewing them as people outside of just the classroom. And it's been the most fulfilling and gratifying part of my college experience. Um, so... I would recommend shooting your teachers an email or your professors an email and thanking them if you like them and if the classes helped you in any way because our classes have. And I I love you so much and I will never stop saying that to you. you Um, But thank you guys for listening and I hope you got something out of this conversation because I did. Thank you. And that's a wrap. Thank you guys for hanging out with me and listening to this week's episode. If you want more, follow at Show Me How Good It Gets podcast. I read all the DMs I get on there. And then my personal Instagram account is at MalvikaBot and my TikTok is at MalTalks. If you're listening on Spotify, please leave us a rating, preferably a five-star rating. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I hope you can write us a fun little review and write us there as well. Once again, thank you guys for hanging out. See you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.